Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to First Time Dads. I am Richard Innes. And I'm Steve Mile. Uh, and today we are in, uh, we're sitting in the kitchen of a very, very lovely home in uh, North London um, at the home of Lauren Child. Yeah, Lauren, you will know uh, if you have been anywhere near children's books as the author of Charlie and Lola books and also the children's laureate. So welcome, Lauren, and, and tell us, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> well, thank <you. laughs> thanks, thanks for having for us in your hands. What's, the, what's the children's laureate? What is the, what's, tell, me, tell me about that. Well, it, would, it was started... Um, is it 20 years ago now because I, I'm the 10th one and you you get a two-year stint the first one was Quentin Blake and he did a lovely campaign about drawing and talking about the importance of drawing so each laureate picks their own um, um, point of interest I suppose so so I remember Jacqueline Wilson did a wonderful one when she was laureate about the importance of reading aloud and mm. sharing sharing bedtime stories and things, which I, th- I thought was great. And I decided I would like to talk about, amongst other things, I've sort of chosen three things to talk about, but the importance of having space to think. And so mine is sort of called Staring Into Space, and it's about the importance of having idle time Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be very long but Mm -hmm. just enough time so that you can let your thoughts and ideas collide because we're going at 100 miles an hour aren't we in 2018 and the kids you know I've got a two year old and he's swimming football singing classes you Mm. know all all these things that are going on and you know being raced in the morning to nursery raced home from nursery Mm. you go and see him at nursery and he's flying around the playground and yeah, yeah it, I can. And it only gets more because when mm. you're at school now, there's so much testing, which is a lot for children. So much homework, which mm. is a lot for children. And it's no wonder that then, when they have their downtime, they want to watch mm. something on a an iPad or something. Mm. And and there's nothing wrong with that, so long as we balance it. Mm. And I think that's what we haven't got. We haven't got balance. And so we're all becoming really overwhelmed. Do you, sorry to interrupt you, but do, when you talk about staring into space as a concept, do mm. you, are you aiming that almost as much at parents as you are at children? Not just parents, any sorry, adults. Just people, people <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Because, I mean, and, and, and there's, I don't mean any judgment, because mm. I am, I'm finding myself caught up in all of this as well. Mm-hmm. But I go into quite a lot of schools or do um, talks and things for people and the question I will get asked more than any other is where do you get your ideas from? And I'm sure most writers and artists will say that's the same for them. And I used to think it was a very deadly question because you was just like, you reel off all these things, this answer, which I have pre-prepared yeah, memories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, listening to people in the post office, seeing things dropped on the street, you know, adverts for lost cats, and you know, all of those sort of things. And that's where my ideas come from. And then just let, can we move on? Actually, the question is, 
really fundamental to who we are. How do you think? That's what it really means. And, well, how do you think only comes out of having space to think about what, yeah. do, what did that memory mean to me when my mother gave me that terrible haircut when I was eight? You know, that's, mm. that, it's the memory is something, but it's a particle, it's not the idea. So if we allow ourselves time where we are not looking down at a screen in our hand yeah. and we actually allow ourselves to even possibly get bored, our mind will search to connect thoughts and ideas mm. and we'll come up with something, anything to get out of this. Mm. Mm. I really like the idea of the importance of boredom. I think that's a really lovely concept. My sister-in-law with my nephew, who's um, 10 years old now, she always gets on at him when he says he's bored. Mm. She said, that's fine. Sit down. Relax. Think. You know, mm. like, and it, she yeah. actually tries to focus on him. Like, yeah. That's not a bad thing. Being yeah. bored is not a bad thing. You can occupy yourself. Occupy yeah. yourself with your thoughts. Yeah. And, I, and that always really struck me as a lovely idea. And um, I think you're absolutely right. And really, too. Well, that's what happens in some children's writing, isn't it? Some of the great stories mm. are... You know, C.S. Lewis and the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe and that kind of stuff. Thomas starts, Midnight Garden. Yeah. It, you know, there's lots of that. It, exactly, where, where they're just, you're just sort yeah. of cooling your heels somewhere as a yeah. child or you go to an elderly relative's house yeah. or a great aunt or something and it's a bit, and you do a bit of exploring and then suddenly mm-hmm. imagination yeah. takes over, I guess. And I'm, I've always looked on kind of awestruck when I've watched particularly very little children playing, but any children playing, when they have nothing and they create a world out of mm. nothing because it's all held in their head and they can see everything yeah. and it doesn't have to be there physically. And, and that was one of the things I was doing when I created Charlie and Lola, which mm. is this idea that children can have conversations about things that aren't there. And they invent, and they're amazingly creative. That's a really interesting idea again, because I, I, my son is still quite young in terms of that, that mm. kind of classic play. He's only fourteen months, but he's starting to get there. And actually, just last night, listening to you talk, it made me think of just last night. I had him, uh, and he was getting a bit fractious because we were getting towards bedtime. And you, and my wife and I were kind of almost looking around for a toy we could play with. And actually, for ten minutes, I ended up occupying him just by pulling this one silly face. Uh, or playing a game with him where I was kind of looking away and then quickly looking around at him. He thought it was hysterical. Mm. And he ended up doing it back to me. And this went on for 10 minutes. And he was calm, really lovely and calm and smiley mm. after that. And I realised, well, I didn't need a piece of plastic. I didn't need a toy. I didn't need something to physically distract him. There was just a little bit of interaction. because yeah, you're there. being really creative. But he had, he had something. And yeah. he was able to yeah. enjoy that. And it's that, that lovely thing of connecting with him mm. to try and figure out what's yeah, yeah. going on in his little head. Yeah, and kids take their cues, don't they, from the adults. Mm. So they see, I guess if, you, if you're a kid and you see your parents' phones, looking at phones, because that's the big thing, isn't it? Phones, you've only got to get on the tube. So you have people just stand there looking at their phones. I've looked at my yeah. phone all the way here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that that, you know, they're picking up more. When Jackson's starting to pick up, you can tell him watching and, and mm. picking it up. And we don't have time as adults we don't feel like we've got much time as adults we're racing around I wonder if because you're, you're a bit ahead of us in terms of parenting mm. you're, your daughter's a bit older than mm. ours I wonder if before you became a mum and then after did you find your time to be creative was, was shrunk because you were doing the parenting thing 
or, or how did you, did you did you juggle that? Because I found that yeah. we've just had a yeah. just had a little girl who's like seven weeks old. Mm-hmm. So I thought, where the hell am I going to find time to do? But yeah. you do. But something's yeah. obviously slipped away. Yeah. And I wonder if I've noticed what it what was it was that. Did you find any sort of struggle with that? That's an interesting question. I, I think, no matter what I do, my job is such that I have to have thinking time. I can't do it if I don't. And I don't feel that has so much come from having my daughter, the, the, the um, reducing of my creative time. Because watching her and being around her anyway is very creative. You know, I see it's all part of the interesting things that happen in my life. So... And it doesn't have to be her, it can be somebody else. Anybody is kind of interesting because everybody is feeding ideas. But it's the world around it that's become uncreative. I think my very industry, the publishing industry, is way less creative than it used to be because just like every other industry, it's being dominated by sales Mm. and selling units of books and budget costs and books going down in price and printing costs going up in price and are we selling enough to be able to support this writer or that writer? Can we pay them? Um, Therefore, everything becomes about squeezing things Mm. into what will sell. Mm. So um, it's about the end result and and my audience Mm. before it is about before it used to be about me and my reaction to the world and what do I have to say that might be of interest and how might people suddenly feel excited about something mm. I'm saying or just even a teeny bit mm. of what I'm saying mm. might be interesting to them. Do you now think I, I feel everything has to be directed for mm. them. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you think that the, you, the, it's really interesting to hear the way you describe the, the industry, particularly in terms of you know children's books. Do you think now that the way the industry is now that there are certain classics I suppose of children's literature from years gone by that would have struggled to have you know even got published in this in this day and age uh yeah I think it would I think there are lots of things I I I mean even I only started about 20 years ago Mm. and it was a much more supportive industry in that way Mm. I felt I feel incredibly lucky and there was there was a different kind of kindness and generosity to it Mm. um the idea of competition, particularly, I mean, certainly in the children's industry, it was never very competitive. And you get to know other children's writers and illustrators in a very nice way where everyone was very sort of helpful to each other. I think now it's become very, very competitive and people are looking over their shoulders all the time and mm. seeing what other people are doing. But that comes out of the fact that, we, you know, we go on something like Amazon and, and you're looking at your rankings and yeah. I, I, I don't do that <laughs> for very good reasons very wise yeah. I, I guess that 20 years ago we weren't watching films on our phones on tubes were we yeah. we were reading books generally publishing in the last 20 years has been hammered as we can testify as yeah, print journalists yeah. by, by digital media it, it, it makes it a harder thing to do and, and perhaps you know in, I don't know it's like there was a 20 years time we'll have computer game designers 
bemoaning mm. how 20 years ago we used to be able to design computer games and mm. you know creatively and, and, and it would be the, the next well I think you're right about that because we've seen it with the music industry and how that changed forever everyone just thought it was fine to just get music free online why shouldn't why shouldn't we just be able to access music for free but it's somebody's job you know mm-hmm. and they've created something you know really incredible and spent a lot of time and they need to earn a mm. living from it so this idea that everything should just be for free mm. it's just mm. you can't expect to continue no. to have people doing amazing things and not be able to earn a living it's going to narrow our lives right down mm. because yeah, people can't afford to do it anymore so in terms of the way that children might be consuming stories in the future what, what are your what are your kind of almost like predictions and perhaps concerns about the way that 10, 20 years from now children might be consuming um, stories well, or I think media. it's part. I think it's partly comes from what you were talking about earlier and, and so if you're on if your child sees you just sitting there at breakfast on your iPhone all the time then of course that's normal and we can't expect children to be different and do no. things differently it's really you know if you swear a lot in front of your children your children are going to swear mm. you know mm. you can't expect that no. to be any different than it is and and I sort of feel like we, we, there is an awful disconnect of what we think it's okay to do and what we expect them to do yes. the same is true um, about books we don't value books we, we, we say that reading is the gateway to um, to having you know some kind of future in the workplace you have to you have to be able to read and communicate and write is really really important otherwise your your chances of any kind of economic stability are just not possible and or, or very likely not to be possible and yet we have devalued books to such an extent that they are mind-bogglingly cheap mm-hmm. and people are very much finding it very difficult to earn a living from them um, and so you get the success stories mm. of people who can do very nicely on their books. But what we're not seeing is all the other people underneath that mm. who've got something really valuable to say, but they will never have a chance to say it because they can't afford to. Mm. And so we're often having these debates in publishing about inclusivity, including people from every kind of background, ethnically different, um, lifestyle different, economically different. Mm but you've got to be able to pay them. They've got mm. to be able to earn a living. Mm. So, you know, what are you selling them? Like any kind of future. Mm. But, and, and, and yet we say it's the most important thing that our mm. children read. Mm. And, and so that's what worries me, that we have to make a kind of a bit of a shift about the value of books. And cinema has done it really well. You know, they've made it. You, you know, they realised that things were just impossible and cinemas were struggling to sell enough seats to keep supporting them now so they've turned it into a kind of performance yeah you know yeah you can eat can't you yeah go for a meal yeah, you can and go and you can have uh, and i know and i know that doesn't mean it's available for all and that's a shame mm. but then on the other hand you get cinemas who'll do you know very um low priced um performances so you can mm. go say on a sunday morning or something it's not perfect, but we've got to mm. try and reinvent things so that yeah. it actually we still have those art forms. See, a lot of people I know talk about the tangible aspects of reading a book to your child. You know, yeah. and, I, and I love that. I love having Ben sat on my lap and 
we'll be reading whatever it might be and flicking through the book together and that's a lovely thing but I get the impression from what you're saying that if there was some sort of you know technological advancement over the next couple of decades which allowed a child to consume a book in a different way that wasn't necessarily that 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 type of thing that you might be open to that as a possibility well I'm sort of open I'm open to change but I I think books are so perfect anyway (laughs) I I don't really think you can much better than them I think what we've done is we've just we've reduced the price and reduced the price and reduced the price of books but they're still they're getting more and more expensive to produce because we're trying to do things environmentally Mm. we're trying to do something good and important and pay pay the printers Mm. proper wages for making these books which is only right you know we are now finally paying people a living wage mm-hmm. or hoping to and the physical book is so important for children it's so important that you sit with your child mm-hmm. and you know read to him on your lap because he's getting something more than just the book we're, we're, we're obviously talking as London liberal, you know, medium salary earner, people who can afford to go and buy a new book. Mm -hmm. And we're very present parents Mm -hmm. in the sense we want our kids to be involved in in the the reading process. Libraries used to be a thing, didn't they? Libraries used to be a thing. (laughs) You go to anything. I remember remember going with my my mum to the library, let's use three books. Yeah, Yeah. every Sunday. You'd take them. Absolutely, we used to go twice a week. Does that happen? I don't think it happens anymore, but I know we've got less libraries, but, you know, is there a responsibility for parents to. I I think this argument, um, I always get. I, I think we always come at it from one angle, which is the people who write the books or illustrate the books should be the ones that should be being the charity here mm. And, mm. and and not being able to afford to do it without doing another job. I'm not talking about myself because no. I'm very lucky. I started a long time ago. Yeah. I'm talking about people who may be quite young and have something they really need to say and want to say and they should be paid for what they do. Mm-hmm. People who are on really low incomes, this is always the argument that's made, is but they can't afford to buy books. They can't afford to buy books anyway, whatever yeah. price you give them. We, we're getting people to use food banks for yeah, goodness yeah, yeah. sake. Mm. They can't afford it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, using them as an excuse is wrong. Yeah. We should be supporting them another way. Well, I would, uh, my point was really that libraries are closing and we're closing the libraries, we so sh- we're giving yeah. ac- the access to books in, when you don't have to buy them being shut down so as a society yes. the message mm. we're sending mm. is that books aren't important absolutely because we're not giving the, the the access do you do you think they're not is there going to be a knock-on effect we, we sort of go back to our, uh, our discussion about um creativity and, and children perhaps you know kids if they're not reading and getting adventures via books where what's you know where's what's going to drive what do you think there's still enough hope for kids I think to look a... out the window and think, where's that cat going? <laughs> no, I think there's enough hope um, for... I always feel great hope for children because children are hopeful beings. That's what they are. I always think they're really optimistic. Um, and that's why it's always wonderful to be around them and that's why we need to interact more. Um, I think that's... That's one of the great joys of life, really, being around children. But 
I do think it's our job not just to talk about books, but to be there seen to be reading books mm. and sharing books with our children. Mm. That is important. Mm. And because children, as we've been discussing, learn by, by example so much. And I am not against children playing games on devices and doing things like that. It's all about balance. Mm. And it's just like when I was little and I loved television. I was terribly excited about television. But television drew me back towards books um, so much of the time because a lot of television is story. Yeah. And I learned a lot about writing stories from watching TV. And then if uh, there was an adaptation of a book, I would go back and read the books. Mm. But it's about you as the parent, I think, making sure there's that there's an opportunity for that connection. I, I do worry that we that we almost demonise anything that's on a screen uh, mm. as a society, and I, I am not one of those people. I, I do I do think. I mean, some of the things, even at Ben's age, the TV is on. You know, some some portion mm. of the day, and some of the stuff that's on, I think, is great. It's you can brilliant. see it's really interactive, and it's you know, there, there's a real educational message to it. Um, so I, I'm not one of those people that's anti him watching TV at all. I, I, but to your point, it's right, isn't it? You have to. You wouldn't want him sitting there for six hours a day watching yeah. television. But um, but yeah, there's there's I, I think there's a balance to be struck. I yeah I I, I don't disagree. I, I think that our approach with with Jackson is he doesn't watch TV. He doesn't he hasn't watched in the night. He doesn't know what in the night garden is. He doesn't know what Peppa Pig is. He's two and three months because. He hasn't. We haven't had the TV on, and I don't know what. There was never really a conscious decision. Mm. We just don't watch mm-hmm. as much TV in in the house, and I, I feel like if I'm, if I'm in the room with Jackson, I mean, I'm, and this is not judgment, but on no, anybody, no, but, but I'm with him. Yeah. I'm down on my stomach, yeah. pushing a brio train round with him, trying to explain why the magnets seem to yeah. be the certain way round, yeah. and yeah. don't worry, or you know, putting the farm animals in a line. Or you know, going in the garden, yeah. and we just don't. And that, I don't think it's not having an adverse effect on him not to have it on. I'm sure when he gets a bit older and he goes around friends' houses that have sleepovers and stuff like mm-hmm. that, he will yeah. get. You know, he'll come access. to it in his own time. He goes to the nursery, and I'm sure great. they talk to him at nursery about stuff that's on TV. Yeah. Um, in the same way that he doesn't have sweets at home, but we go to the nursery and there's been a birthday and there's like a. You know, small packet of Haribo palmed into yeah. me. You know, he doesn't know I tell yeah. him it's fish food because I don't think he. You know, I'm sure he'd love it, yeah. but he'd say, "Well, he'd love ice yeah. cream." In sh- but yeah. there's a bit. I of like, agree, but mm-hmm. I, but I think I mean, it, it, with television, you're not depriving him of anything. He'll come to it in his own time. I think the thing about books is it's just different mm. because reading and writing and understanding how people tick. It's so important because mm. it's all about communication, and TV is something you come to later anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but books, uh, um, and you know, your books, Charlie and Lola, they're very clearly children, but they're very clearly not photographs of children. So there's a mm. there's there's something going on mm. in you know, and, and, and illustrations in children's books are very clearly children, but it's mm. not watching a you know moving photograph mm. of a child, mm. and it, there must be a bit of you know, inspiration going on in his head. He knows, you know, that that's a, that's a little girl and that's a little boy <coughs> and that's a dog and that's a cat. Mm. Even though 
they're representations of those things mm. rather than actual photographs of mm. those things. It's got to be a good... Well, I think children are also very, very good at reading re- reading visual images because yeah. that's what they have to do and learn to do very quickly because, I mean, it's why they need a lot of eye contact, mm. isn't it? Because they're, they're, they're trying to figure things out. They're trying to read your face. What does it mean? What does mm. your body mm. language mean? Does that mean you're leaving the room? All of these <laughs> things they pick up very, very early. Mm. So I think that's why illustrated books are so brilliant for them because mm. it, it helps them not only puzzle out <coughs> the words as they begin to read but it also they're figuring out all kinds of very very complicated mm. things and getting to grips with emotions and so yeah so we had introduced into our house recently dogger oh yes yeah first, yeah and before we even got to the point in the book jackson mm. saying it's a boy sad mm. And he, you know, yeah. you, you, you get getting it. Was, it was it was wonderful. It was great. It was like you know, he's recognising emotion. Mm. He, you know, he's yeah. he can pick up yeah. that, and it's that you know that will be good for him mm-hmm. socially yeah. in any environment. You know, that kind. Absolutely, of, it's also good for him artistically because yeah. you know because we are such visual creatures, mm. and and when you can read pictures and you begin to work out. The focus as well you know mm. because subconsciously he's he's learning all about that <laughs> and the use of colors and what what looks beautiful together what's decorative how to pattern make and when mm. he starts to draw more as he gets older and all of those things mm. are really, really I, I had a slight insight important. into how you're talking about the way the amazing way children's brains work and I had a slight insight into how Ben even at just 14 months is already able to put together certain things when uh, the other day I had him out, it, it was at the weekend, it was in the afternoon, we were walking through the park, it was just me and him, and he was in the buggy. And um, our, his child mind, just happened, who lives locally, just happened to be walking past, and we stopped and had a brief chat for 30 seconds, and Ben was hysterical. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? What on earth? And it took me a minute to figure out, he'd seen the child minder's face, and had assumed, clearly, that I was then going to pour him off uh, and the child yes. and walk away. Yeah. And I was, it, it didn't take long to calm him down, but it, it was, it was a, as you say, sort of yeah. a bit of an insight into even yeah. at this very early stage, they're able to put those pieces yeah. of the puzzle together. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's very interesting. Mm. Uh, so I'm conscious as well, well, someone might be listening to this podcast and although we've caveated everything, we're like, we're not judging, we're not judging. Someone might be listening and going, well, I give my, the moment they wake up, I put a, my iPhone in front of them with a cartoon on, and then they're looking at that all the way to the point they get dropped off at nursery, and then I put them and put it again until they get home, and then I switch the TV in and they sat there. And I'm now panicking that I'm not letting my child be open and have enough opportunity to be correct, to be creative. What what changes do you think we should make if we're if we if we're slightly you know like me and Rich sort of um, anxious? Parents that are, that are constantly worrying we're doing the right thing. Um, well, I. Oh gosh. Well, I I think um, I'm not here to tell anyone how to do anything um, because I've muddled along just like anybody else. <laughs> but I think about it more when I'm thinking about my writing and drawing <laughs> because it's it's well it's impossible to be perfect and do everything as you would hope to do it, but. The, the things I've really noticed is the listening to and the having time to discuss something if, because children are very much in the moment and 
the best time to really discuss something is when the child was, is really eager to discuss yeah. it. And so I find with my daughter, if she's, she got really interested, and this is going back to screens, she got very interested in those things which are called YouTube hacks or something, okay. where you learn how to, to make something that, you know, like something as simple as if you want a multicolored crayon, mm. you tape all these Mm-hmm. coloured pencils yeah. together and then you can draw in, in this way yeah. it's a really simple thing but it really excited mm-hmm. her and then there are way more complicated ones and she'll say can we do that now and there's a there's part of you that just wants to say oh gosh not now I've got something else I want to do and um, or it's going to make a mess and I'm trying to be quite good about thinking that will be a really good use of a half hour or a ten minutes and it's worth it mm, yeah and it makes her feel like you're engaging with what she's interested in, but it's also a kind of really nice bonding communication mm. time between mm. the two of you. And I beget, I get to to know her better, mm. and and so I think that's why it's important. And I'm I'm a great listener of the radio. You know, I'm always listening to the radio. And I do have to remind myself sometimes I'm quite good to turn it off because mm. otherwise I'm not really properly listening to her and she knows it and so it's quite I mean sometimes you find you end up discussing things mm-hmm. and that's really interesting um, telling the truth to your child is a really important mm-hmm. thing as well sometimes I, I because I agree with everything you just said there but sometimes I get caught between these two stools and I don't know what you make of this but the idea that well, the child has to know when it's when it's playtime and, and when it's dinner time and when it's bedtime, mm. and almost that because you want to make sure that they're aware of when things are appropriate. That if if I were to just drop everything and do whatever the child wants mm. at all the time, is oh, that yeah. is that somehow? And again, it comes. Mm. I suppose this is the same answer to everything: balance yeah. with everything. But I'm always very conscious that well, Ben can't just have his own way every time. So it's kind of what, well, of but so clearly yeah. you have to know where that line is. Whereas I think you're absolutely right. If, you know, if he wants to interact with me in some way, I should I should stop what yeah. I'm doing and we'll have that interaction. Yeah. But I'm always thinking. Well, also he has to know that he can't just have his own way every yeah. time. I think with that, and I think this is I've this with Jackson is that, and it goes back to an earlier podcast that we did with a child behaviourist who says that kids are going to test you because you're their parents and you're the person that, that loves them the most, and they know that that you're going to love them no matter mm-hmm. what. At home, Jackson will get up from eating his dinner and try and walk around eating his dinner. And you have to keep come back, come back. Watch him through the window at nursery. He sat in that chair he, with all the other kids, like ploughing through his dinner, does not get up, knows that he's not supposed to get up. There's no, no doubt that he knows yeah. what he's supposed to be doing. It's just that yeah. when he's at home, he knows that there's a playroom and he knows that probably I haven't got, we're not going to get into a battle of wills because I'll just say, tell you what, We'll go and play room. You can sit on my lap, look at a book, and you can finish your toast or whatever it is. So I think there's probably mm. a bit of that. Mm. I think there is. And I think it's also, though, wanting to know when full stop is because it makes you feel much safer. Because I, I think um, if it's like having a teacher who one day is it's absolutely fine to do, you know, ignore the lesson and do something else, and then the next day it's actually not fine to do that, that really unnerves children I think they mm. like a certain amount yeah. yes they do mm. and order and so I think sometimes I know with my daughter when she's really really testing me I think it's you just want me to tell you 
where the end of my rope is, you yes. know. And and then when you know that, you know it's all going to be all right if, so long as we don't get past that point. But the end of your rope changes, doesn't it? On an, uh, given, any given <laughs> yeah, day, depending, depending on how bad, how bad <laughs> the can, day is. You can have your set. You could just have your set rule of you're always at the table when you eat. Yeah. And we never watch... We never watch anything on the iPhone no. when we're at the table. Mm. And you can have just really set things. Rules, yeah. So with my daughter, she absolutely knows. She can ask for my password a million times and she's never, ever going to get it. And yeah, with other people, she can and they will, yeah. you know. So, but yeah. she, at least she knows with me, you're not going to get it. And, yeah. and I think that's quite nice because then we don't have to have an argument about it. We've had the arguments about yeah. it. And they've gone away now. Mm. One mm. of the things that Steve and I have talked about continually through all the many episodes we've done is about the pressure, you know, of being a modern parent and the various pressures that come with it. And the thing I'm sort of that's going through my mind as I'm as I'm listening to you talk is that pressure to be so many different things. And I, I you know, this is the same for any parent world over, I imagine. Mm. But the, the fact that I feel a, a great deal of pressure to help Ben develop his own creativity and give him that freedom to do it while having that pressure to be right I need to be the disciplinarian because I'm the father and I, and also I need to be the provider because I'm the father and all these different roles that, that don't always fit together quite nicely and don't and often don't overlap um, and it's really difficult to know which role to play at the right time I think as a, as a father I think particularly that's very true yeah I, well I think I think it I think it just is anyway because you have to you're also learning from their personality because they're mm -hmm. all different so different different techniques or ways mm. of behaving work differently with different children and and I sort of feel it's taken quite a long time to figure out how to calm down in a tantrum mm. for example mm. and we tried all different ways and we now kind of know what works best but that you can only learn that through yeah. doing it and experiencing it. The textbook can't tell you. No, well, they can't. They can give you ideas. Yeah, yeah. and I suspect Jackson's going to be different to Iris because they already are different. She's a very different baby, so they're going to be... What yeah. works with one, yeah. Yeah. the crackness, is not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're going to... There's not a one-size-fits-all as we, as we learn every week. I don't think I quite appreciate until having a child how predetermined their personalities uh -huh. are. I, I always had this perhaps naive idea that I picked up from, I think from studying philosophy that you know every child is kind of a blank canvas and that you can help shape and mould them the way and of course that's not the case at all no they're born, they're no, born quite, they are who they are it's quite and alarming you, yeah yeah it's <laughs> the turn the turn they are who they are when they're yeah. born and you have to help them make the best of themselves yeah and you do have to go with it don't you yeah, I mean you yeah. and, and I think you you can nurture that's I think that's where the nurture thing mm comes in of, of yeah, respecting them for who yeah. they are. Um, but back to our original, I guess, original discussion point about if you are putting them in a position where they've got time to think yeah. mm. and time to explore, to be outside, you, yeah. they might not take you up on that opportunity, yeah. but you've done your end of things, yeah. which is give them yeah. the opportunity to yeah. do that. And, know, I, and I also think to not kind of beat yourself with a stick mm. about it as well because I think one is so keen to sort of problem solve and make things all right that we that we tend to think we haven't achieved anything when you then talk to your child about um, say a 
you know, they, they, they were feeling terribly distressed or upset. And I know with my daughter, whenever I used to ask her, well, what's going on? She'd get even more angry. But now, several, several years <laughs> on, <laughs> I realised that did go in. So now she will tell me. Mm. But it's taken all those years for her to feel comfortable. And then, like, walking along the street and having a tiny little creative conversation about something, even if it's three minutes long or less, mm. that actually that's been a lovely little mm. moment and don't expect it to be more than that. It doesn't have to be more yeah, than you, that. I guess you build your relationship with a child in the same way you build your relationship with anybody, anybody. you meet in your life. Yeah. Because they're a stranger. Yeah. Even though, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, you might share some genes or yeah. not or, or, or environment and all those kinds of things. Mm. It is that building a relationship and in that sense it doesn't have to be a, a life-affirming life-changing moment every time that yeah. you, you don't have to you don't have to be some some great parenting epiphany every moment every time you do something with them it might just be those it little chats those little moments yeah because i think they add up don't they? well it's like when you talk to them they pick up your vocabulary mm. and so the yes. talking to them is really really important and using a really varied vocabulary because i think that's been yeah. one of the other latest pieces of finding, isn't it, that, that children's vocabulary is reducing, but that's completely our responsibility. You yeah, can sorry, change you that. Four on, isn't it, in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where she's getting it all from. But, but, you know, her vocabulary is great. Yeah. And, and so that reminds me that there's a kind of whole drip, drip effect, yeah. that when you do say things, it is going in. Mm. So we shouldn't get so worried about... Yeah, don't beat yourself up as a parent, yeah. I think, is the is I've been the told that many, many times on this because, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and it just, I think it's something I'm just very guilty spend of. Spend time with them, that's another good piece of advice. Mm. Talk to them mm. and yeah. have a good... And, and I guess they just have a little slight eye on your own behaviour if you think you're probably mm. on your phone too much in yeah. front of you child you probably mm. are on your phone too much yeah. in front of your child yeah um or just being distracted when they're yeah. they're having time with you and then you're you know very obviously distracted they feel it because mm. really i think the thing they want more than anything is to be with you mm. that's the thing isn't it time mm. that's yeah. what everybody yeah. everybody yeah. says that time is all your child wants from you really mm. speaking of time we are i think we are coming towards the end of our time okay um, I, I did look i did really want to ask you because we've mentioned Charlie and Lola several times, but Charlie and Lola is such an enormous phenomenon now across the planet. How, what has been, <laughs> I'm always very curious, what has been the most extreme reaction you've had from a child who's met you and has, been, has had it explained to them, this is the woman who created Charlie and Lola? Oh, well, you see, that's interesting because it's usually the parents. Because, <laughs> <Get excited. laughs> because younger children, they're not really interested in in me yeah Yeah. because that's not very interesting because the characters themselves are very interesting to them and it's true of all books for that young age I think Um, and when my daughter and I went up to Alton Towers because they were opening Charlie and Lola Land (laughs) (laughs) which must be by the way mind boggling that was mind boggling that was mind boggling (laughs) for me on the Gruffalo ride yeah And so we, you know, she was very excited about it. But her biggest disappointment was where were Charlie and Lola? 
because they weren't there because we didn't do walkabouts of them because we thought it would be weird yeah. because they're children and suddenly to meet these giant things with massive heads and hands would be really freaky. Yeah. No, not the case at all. That's what they wanted. Yeah, no, having been to Disney World and having my picture taken as an 11-year-old with Minnie Mouse, I can testify. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what you want. And and that's a mouse, so it should yeah, be yeah, very yeah. small. Um, but so, no, it's when I'm talking about Ruby Redfort or Clarice mm. Bean, that's when you get the reaction. Because these are children who have lived in your world and they're completely invested in those yeah. books. And that world is their world. And yeah. those characters are their friends. So it's different. Because they so can talk children, to you about them because yeah. you know them as well. Is that, is that the kind so, of thing you... Yeah, because they're because they're older, they really want to understand why you've done things. A We're in sort way. of J.K. Rowling, yes. Harry Potter territory. Where, That's right. Whereas I would That's imagine right. for the for kids who love Charlie and Lola of that age, if they were, to, for instance, to meet the guy who voices the character of Charlie on the TV show, that would probably be more. You know, if he suddenly started talking to them in the vo- in, in Charlie's voice, that might be a bit freaky, might it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more terrifying. Yeah, no, no. You can tell that my child isn't old enough. I'm not, I when, when we yeah. spoke to Rob Biddulph about a similar sort of thing, because he's his books for for young children as well. He said the kids look at him and not quite sure why he's there no. until he starts to draw. Yeah, and then they're like, "All oh, right, you can draw," and suddenly become fascinated. In. That's definitely true because I do this thing where I put together a collage in front of them about how I work. That's when they get really interested because you are you're sort of animating the characters at mm. that point. So that's interesting. Mm. Me, I'm not very interesting to them. You know, that's not what Just they're there for. Yeah, because yeah, it's abstract. It's so yeah. abstract. I never used to think about that when I was a child. Mm. Who writes them? You know, because it's yeah. a world that you're in. Yeah. It's true. That's true. true. It's true. Again, it takes us back to the imagination and the creativity. It's why we sparks them. Mm. Once they start to realise the process Mm. and, oh, it's not that different to when I make up a story in my head. Mm. You know, when Jackson arranges his teddies in a certain order. Mm -hmm. You don't know why... But you know that there's something There's something on. important about it. He's talking batteries. to them and there's some kind of story going on in his head. And yeah. that's why they get so desperately upset when you start moving their things around. <laughs> yeah. Don't there's touch monkey, for it. otherwise you're in big trouble, yeah. I, I, I used to get upset, but I'm thinking when I was 15 now, shouting at my mum for moving my things around, which is for a very different reason. But yeah, even even with Ben being, you know, but Ben is, has only got you know a handful of words. But even now, we can. Sit, I see him sometimes, and I feel an odd sort of sense of pride when I see him sitting with one of his books on the front room floor, and he'd just be flicking through the pages and just yelling at the pages. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly because he's a very loud baby. He's, clearly, <laughs> he's bellowing, at, you know, in a very sort of friendly, fun fashion. But he's bellowing at these characters on these pages. I, I, I have no idea what he's saying, not a clue. But it's really lovely and fascinating to think. Well, he doesn't even have that sort of vocab- any vocabulary, really. And yet he's clearly having some sort of communication with the, with the characters which, you can see on the pages. Which brings us right back to the importance of the physical book, you mm. see. Yeah, yeah. Because they really engage with it in a different way. And I think the mechanics of being able to move a page, mm. yeah. tear a page, yeah. write on a page, all of that is mm. really, really mm. important for them. Mm. It's true. Tangible creativity. There you go. I've just made that up. That probably that doesn't sound go. real. <laughs> um, uh, right. Um, I suppose. That's great. Yes, we've probably covered more than enough ground. Lauren, thank you so much for having us in your house. It's a very lovely house. By oh, the way. thank you. Lovely kitchen. Thanks for talking to us about it.
I'm, I'm going to go and home tonight and find some time. Yeah. I'm going to go home tonight and put, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this more often now, put my mobile phone up on a shelf the moment I get in the door and leave it there until I've really gone to bed. Yeah. That's my new plan. Okay. I think that's very, very wise. I think the more people who do that, the more we'll sort of expect mm. that to be done. I think that's yeah. quite interesting. So it was quite good when you go to those events where you have to hand your phone in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, right, well, thanks again for having us. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And um, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Thank you.